I hated my childhood. I hated myself. Um, I hated life <laughs> altogether. Um, she was mean. My stepfather, he was making me do things I didn't want to do. And I would go to school and then come home and go outside for as long as possible and stay outside. And knowing that eventually I would have to go back in the house and my mom, she would be at school, um, night school, trying to, you know, make a better life for us or and be at work. And he took advantage of that. Welcome to And Then Everything Changed, a podcast about the pivotal moments in life and decisions that define us. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. Today I'm speaking with Vanity Dawson, whose mission is to guide foster care youth and help women heal from trauma and empower them to tap into their potential. Welcome, Vanity. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so glad you're here and very excited to learn a little bit more about the work you do and what brought you to this path. So, Vanity, you're you're military, right? Um, I am a vet that just got out of service back in March. Mm-hmm. So when you when you made the decision to join the military, um, had had it been something you thought about for a really long time, or was it something that that you just stumbled upon? Um, no, not really. My brother, he serves in the Air Force and um, I come from a family that's also served in the military, different branches. But my brother, my older brother, he kind of guided me into it. And I'm grateful for that. <laughs> so that's how I came across it. Mm-hmm. Was there a reason that was ex- especially exciting to you or was it about travel or can you talk a little bit about the opportunity there in the military? Um, yeah, so a lot of people join active duty um, one to or the military in general to one serve their country or two for the benefits. Um, for me, I was kind of lost um, with my life and I didn't really know where I was going um, when mm-hmm. I first And how joined. old were you? Um, I was about 24 years old when I first got in. Mm-hmm. Um, I had no clue um, what my life was looking like for the future. Um, mm-hmm. When Also, when I enlisted, I was living in an abusive home. So that didn't make uh, anything easy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about your experience and, and, and how you came to be living in a home where you experienced abuse? And, you know, I just realized that you're talking about abuse that happened in more of your adult life. And so this is actually after the abuse you experienced in your young life. Is that right? Yes, it is. I went through a cycle of it. So let's let's just go ahead and talk about this because the cycle of abuse is is part of the the trap of it. So why don't you take me back if if you want to to your earliest memories of of this type of 
life of abuse. If you can maybe take me back all the way to the start of your life and your family when this cycle began. Okay. Um, well, flat out, I was molested um, as a kid by my stepfather um, at the age of 10, 11, and 12. And I didn't know my my biological father. He wasn't in my life. So my stepdad was, that was my dad that was present. Um, and he took advantage of that. And Had he been in your life since you were very young? Um, he Before he started molesting me, he was in the picture for a couple years with my mom. And we traveled um, across, well, up and down the East Coast. So we like started in Virginia. And then when we moved down to Georgia, that's when the molestation started, when we all moved in together. When you think back to the childhood and to you as a child, do you do you recall feeling uncomfortable with him at any point before the actual molesting began? Um, no, not really. He was I had my brother and my sisters with me. So he was just seemed like a regular man, you know, that was just in the picture. And it's not like there was a lot of guys in and out of the house. Um so he was around the longest and everything it did seem a little normal with him being there. That's not to say that I didn't experience um, other abuse because my relationship was strength with my mom as well. Mm-hmm. Are you the oldest? Uh, I'm the oldest girl, but I'll, I have an older brother and I have two younger brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. And so your mom and you, so you had experienced abuse at her hands. Uh, yeah, so there was a lot of emotional abuse and, you know, the yelling and name calling. And I believe that played a part of the cycle that I went through up into my adulthood. Um, and I didn't realize that until I was an adult. Mm-hmm. So before you knew about the cycle of abuse, because I think when children are growing up they're I mean, my opinion is that children are just trying to grow up. We're just trying to have a life. <laughs> There's not a lot, you know, outside of your family, unless you go to spend a lot of time with other families, you might not even know what you're experiencing is different. Right. For me, um, I had my happy childhood moments. Um, and I'm thankful for that. Um, thankful for my brother because he allowed that for me. But besides that, there is a lot of my childhood that I've always tried to block out and not address um, because it's hurtful. It's really painful to talk about. So, you know, it's what do we do best? We avoid it or look for other ways to cope and Um, Avoiding was my coping uh, method for my uh, childhood. Did you have anyone to turn to when you were being abused as a child? I had 
my friends that were outside. So while I was being abused, um, I would stay outside as long as possible. And I would make sure I was going to school every single day. I didn't want to miss school. Um, School to me was my safe haven. So I would make sure, you know, I didn't get sick. Or if I did get sick, I didn't want to stay home. I would still go to school. And the funny thing about it is school wasn't the best either. But I had to pick the best out of the worst. And um, that was school. I was being bullied in school as well. Do you know, do you know, can you talk a little bit more about that, about the dynamic at school? Um, as a middle school student, um, and it was, it was hard. It was tough. It was a lot of violence in the school. Kids were fighting. Um, they would take my lunch and stuff like that. And I was quiet. So they would, you know, try to mess with me. And, um, I would focus more so on my schoolwork and I didn't want to get into, you know, all of the drama that was going on in middle school. And middle school can be ruthless. Mm-hmm. I have, I have uh, two middle schoolers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not the best. <laughs> oh, no. Especially if, it, if, I mean, did you have a mentor or a teacher that took an interest in you or were you on your own? I had teachers in elementary that took an interest in me, but when I got to middle school, no, it was kind of like I was on my own. Matter of fact, I remember teachers even advocating for the kids to fight, and I was one of them <laughs> in the classroom. Is that right? Yes, it was. They had us slap boxing and um, behind closed doors quietly, and I remember. <laughs> I remember. Uh, fighting another young lady um, because of it. And the teacher, they had us doing rounds. <laughs> do you do you understand what, what why? Was there some idea behind this or do you think it was just recklessness? I think it was just recklessness now that I'm an adult. Um, I didn't understand it. I just know we had like a lot of substitute teachers. Wow. Um, the teachers, they didn't really last too long um, because of all of, the chaos in the school. Do you, do you look back on your childhood with any kind of awe that you survived? Absolutely. Um, I believe my childhood has made me who I am today. And my strongest characteristic is resilience. And that started at childhood. Mm-hmm. When, when you were, when you were making the decision to go to school because you needed to stay out of the house as long as possible, did it also ever, did you ever get to tell your mom what was going on with her husband when you were back at home? Um, so it's kind of like two parts to that. So with, before it turned into full molestation, my stepfather, he used to grind on me and that's, you know, kind of like grow me. He knew that the relationship between me and my mom was strength. He knew that I was scared of my mom and that I wasn't really going to say anything to her. And he took advantage of that. Mm-hmm. Um, when my mom would yell and stuff, who did I go to? I would go to him. He knew that. 
So the first time it happened, he was just like, he would start by tickling me. And this is when I was like 10, going into 11 years old. He would tickle me, then he would grind on me. And it didn't feel comfortable. So I actually did tell my mom one night. I remember we were driving home and it was dark. And I told her. And then she called the police. She did call the police. Um, I... I remember the jail and everything so clear now as I talk about it. Um, it was in DeKalb County, Georgia. And I remember being at the police station for hours and the police asking me a bunch of questions. And they handcuffed my stepdad. And I didn't want them to handcuff him. And I know it sounds crazy, but that was, you know, the dad that was in my life. I didn't want that for him. I just wanted him to stop making me feel uncomfortable. But I ended up changing my story. Um, when they said he wasn't going to come back, I said that he didn't do it. Wow. Do you, looking back at your mom, do you think, this is very interesting because I wonder, do you think that she was trying to do the right thing? Um, she was. I believe she was trying to do the right thing because she called the police right away. And um, they, you know, started the investigation process. But once I changed my story and said that it didn't happen, then they stopped the investigation. Um, but then that's when things got worse. So... One thing for me, I never understood. Um, they got married after the fact, so they wasn't married yet. And um, then we moved to a different house. So that's something I always questioned too. Um, why, why did he still come with us after, after I said something, even after I changed my story and one do thing, you think that your mom, so do you think that your mom also believed that you had been lying or you think that she knew that you were trying to protect him? Um, I think she, she believed me. So part of me, I don't know. Um, because she always asked me why didn't I tell her? And this was actually when he actually started molesting me, like clothes off and everything. And she said she always had a feeling and she would and she would ask me and this is after we moved this is after you know they got married and he came back in the picture and um she would always ask me is he touching you it's almost like she had this feeling and i would say no but he was touching me he was molesting me um i didn't want to go through that process again i didn't want the million questions coming down from the uh, police station. Um, I hated my childhood. I hated myself. Um, I hated life <laughs> altogether. Um, she was mean. My stepfather, he was making me do things I didn't want to do. And I would go to school and then come home and go outside for as long as possible and stay outside. And knowing that eventually I would have to go back in the house and my mom, she would be at school, um, night school, trying to, you know, make a 
better life for us or and be at work and he took advantage of that Mm -hmm. did you ever did you ever talk to your siblings about it or did you keep it to yourself I didn't talk to my siblings when they were younger but I felt like I had to protect them too because there were times where I would say no, and then he would take his anger out on my little brother and sister. And at this point, my older brother was no longer living with us. But he would be mean to them and, you know, hit them and stuff. And then I would just say yes, because I didn't want him to treat them like that. And it wasn't until I got older, we were all adults, that's when I, you know, told them about it. Well, my sister at least told her about it. Mm. And what was her reaction to that? Um, she was just listening to me. She's very compassionate. Um, you know, it wasn't easy growing up in our childhood. Um, a lot of adversity. And, you know, they always say, you know, I'm really sorry that you had to go through that. But, you know, uh, it made me who I am today. No, um, because even though I went through all of that abuse, just, you know, the the hurtful names for my mom, the molestation from my stepdad, even the physical abuse um, in my adulthood and just all the reckless behavior I've even got myself into, like, I am who I am today because of all of it. Um, mm-hmm. I can still smile. and be optimistic (laughs) yeah it's it's amazing to think about a childhood full of that much hardship and to know that you were able to become the woman you are today yeah people ask me all the time how do you smile (laughs) even though you've been through all of those things you know as a child and you know my life could have uh, been a whole lot different. I could have ended up on drugs, and people do, and I could have ended up prostituting. I could have ended up homeless. I should be dead, (laughs) or I could be dead. I've looked looked deaf in the face many times, Um, but I'm here. And since I'm here, and since I have a purpose, that's what I have to focus on. It sounds like it sounds like your childhood was just a, a section. Your early childhood was just a section of what you went through. So you're you're sharing now a little bit about other obstacles and other dangerous situations you found yourself in. Can you just maybe talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. So after I was being molested, which totally um, crumbled what was left of my family. Um, I ended up in foster care. Um, I was the only one. I went into foster care at age 14 um, because I started running away. I didn't want to be in the house. Um, I hated being home. Um, The name calling, I couldn't take it. And every other day I was stupid or, you know, the B word or just some type of name. And, you know, it was, I didn't, have a good self-esteem. So I was running away, hanging out, doing whatever I wanted to do as a teenager. 
there were times uh, when I'm almost, I was attacked as a teenager, um, just out in the streets in dark while it's dark out and I should have been in the house in my group home somewhere, but I was doing what I wanted to do. Um, I don't know what that guy could have done to me or what he would have done to me, but I just know that I fought back and I ran. I ran as far as I could. I was yelling and he probably didn't expect that. But um, I tell people that story all the time. Um, I tell people that story because I want them to know, like, they need to be, you know, be careful out here. You just never know what to expect when you're out and about. Um, you never know who's going to try to attack you. And that man, he could have, you know, raped me and killed me, uh, especially with a lot of uh, girls and children missing and stuff like that. And I think about that. And to this very day, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that I'm still alive. I'm thankful that I didn't, you know, get raped. And then my other near-death experience was when I was in um, the abusive household. And my ex, he, he choked me. Like, he choked me, almost choked me to death. I don't know if I died and came back or just unconscious or what. I remember everything going black. He choked me so hard. And then I just remember him, like, beating on my chest. And then I, like, gasped for air. And this is when you were an adult and you were living in that roommate situation. Yes, yes. Um, I think about that. Actually, I was thinking about it a couple of weeks ago. I was driving and, you know, I have my flashbacks mm. and instead of, you know, getting real sad because I can fall in the trap of sadness from the things that I've experienced. But instead, I just thank God that I was alive. Am I hurt about it still? Absolutely. Do I think about my son not having a mom because of that? Absolutely. But also am thankful that I'm still here. Um, I'm thankful that I made it out that household to even be able to tell the story. Because mm -hmm. a lot of women don't make it out. Mm -hmm. That's right. And a lot of people don't tell their story. Did you, do you know how it came to be that you were prepared to share what had happened to you? And when did you realize that part of your life was going to be about influencing other people who needed to recover and be resilient? Um, I had no clue <laughs> where I was going. I was just living life. I was just here to be here. Um, when I was being abused again, I had low self-esteem. Um, I had suicidal ideation. I wanted to die. Uh, I would cut myself. And I just, I didn't know my purpose. So I was just living. Um, but it wasn't until I got into the military when I found my purpose. Um, I became a victim advocate, helping other women 
um, that were sexually assaulted. And that's when I found my purpose. That's when I knew that all the stuff that I went through was for a reason. It was to build strength in me so I could help other women, help other people, and actually be able to empathize with them. Mm-hmm. And does your, so can you talk a little bit about your son too? Because here, your son is 16 years old. 14. Oh, he's 14. Okay. So your son, does he know your story? He does. He knows it. Um, so he was, he was living in the household with me when I was being abused. I actually wrote about that. Um, he has experienced secondhand trauma. He has fought my abuser try to um get him off of me and you know I think about that and it hurts me to the core still and it's something that I'm constantly uh seeking forgiveness for I have to forgive myself for that and it's a process I always say I wish I could erase you know those memories from his mind because he you know didn't deserve to see those things but he was there Mm-hmm. He was there while I was getting beat up. He was there. He's seen it. And now I have to uh, do the work to fix it, to pour love into him and let him know that's not how you treat women and teach him, you know, how to be a good man. Mm-hmm. Do you do you and your son have a relationship with your your extended family or your your mother? Do you have a relationship with your mother? Um, our relationship um, has always been on and off, but now I don't. It's uh, the relationship is ended, and it was actually a couple months ago. Where, you know, um, I made the decision to not let anybody control me anymore. I made a decision to not want to be abused in any way. And I asked myself, how can I not allow abuse to come from a man, but allow it to come from my mom? And I had to make that decision, like, no more because I want to heal and I can't start the healing, true healing until I cut those ties are completely cut. And it was hurtful. And I felt like I was grieving and I feel like I'm still grieving because I miss my mom. (laughs) I, I miss the relationship that I always wanted with her not the relationship that I had with her. So growing up in my head, I always envisioned this relationship with a mom where, you know, we can laugh together and, you know, everything is great. And I could talk to her about about anything or, you know, maybe we go shopping all the time and vacations and stuff. And, you know, we have been able to do a few things and that wasn't until my you know, a few years ago, and I thought we were in a better place, but this is what it came to, no contact at all, and 
And I'm not going to say it's okay, but because it's not okay. How did she take the news when you told her? Um, well, there was no, I told her. So right before Mother's Day, she had cut us all off, um, her children. I guess she needed a break or something. I'm not sure. And that's when I just decided that I don't want no more of the in and out, the disappearing. Um, I've always felt like she abandoned me. And I don't want to feel like that anymore. So I didn't give her a conversation. Mm -hmm. I just checked, like blocked my phone so she couldn't have access to me. I didn't want to give her access to hurt me anymore. Mm -hmm. Do your siblings take the same strategy or are they still open to a relationship with her? They have their relationship with her. Um, we all have our different relationship. Um, and we, it's, it's different for all of us. Yeah. Did she stay with that stepdad of yours? Um, no. Nope. She, we moved again. Um, after I told, actually, let me go back. Um, it was when he left. After he left is when I told what happened. That's when I told about the second, the molestation. Mm -hmm. It was after he was out the picture. So that relationship didn't work out. Um, and what was her reaction to that? She packed us up and we moved to Maryland from Georgia. Well, we went to Florida first, but then we moved to Maryland um, from Georgia. She said she wanted to focus on me and get me the help that I needed. But I feel like, you know, as an adult, looking back, like it was too late. Like it was too late. It's a conversation I've had with her or had with a recent guest about forgiveness and what is forgiveness and um, just even that idea, that concept, right? Who gets to forgive? Who gets forgiven? Is it necessary to move on? Are some people just beyond the conversation? And I think about it a lot too, because to have a relationship with someone who has hurt you or to decide to not have a relationship with someone who has hurt you is complex. And I think everyone's story in in this area is so different. Your story is unlike anybody else's, even though it has similarities to other people. What what have you come to understand about the role of moving on and forgiveness? And and does it even play a role in your story? Absolutely. Um we have to I have to forgive the people that's hurt me. I have to forgive myself. Um and it's not an overnight process. And that's how I'm able to move forward. So whenever I feel angry, I have to take it to God. I have to pray about it. I ask God to help me forgive because I don't want to hold anger in my heart at anybody that's hurt me. Um, like even with my stepdad, like, I thought about going to find him and letting him know that I forgive him because I want to be free. And 
I want him to be free because I know he thinks about it. There's no way you could do that to a child and just forget about it. You know, and, you know, I want him to know that I forgive him, that he can, you know, let that let that go because that's tormenting. And I know it's it's hard. It's hard for people to get there. And it's not an overnight process. And it takes work. And it's constant. Forgiveness is not a one time thing. It's not a, it's said and done. You have to keep on forgiving. And the hardest part about it all is learning to forgive yourself, not blaming yourself for things. And even when you are supposed to take accountability for your actions, for the things that you did, still forgiving yourself. And that's what I'm always uh, working through even now. Do you have any sense, having been through so many different parts of your life that were hurtful and actually harmful to you, and to turn it around this way and to do the work that you do, do you have any understanding why some people, such as yourself, can do this and some people don't take their experiences and and get out? For some, it's just too hurtful. It's really hurtful. It's, it's, it's hard to deal with. Um, nobody wants to go through the hard work. Um, we all want the easy stuff, the stuff that feels good. Mm-hmm. And um, to actually get healing, you have to do the, you have to really put in some work. You have to face all your problems. You have to face the ugly stuff. And for some, it's hard. It's hard to do that, but you just got to take a little at a time. You don't have to face all the ugly stuff all at once. You know, you do a little bit at a time and then you learn and then you get stronger and then you take the next piece. And I think people approach it that way. I think it'd be helpful. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about the work that you do now? Uh, yes. So I'm a victim advocate. Um, I help people, well, help women, people that's been sexually assaulted. I'm also in school for clinical mental health counseling, I'm finishing up my master's in that. Um, so I want to counsel people that's experienced trauma. Um, and also, uh, you know, coach them. Mm-hmm. What do you envision for yourself in the next five or 10 years? Um, in the next five or 10 years, I will be finished with my doctorate. <laughs> so um, I'm going to apply for the doctorate program to start the start of next fall. Um, my doctorate of education and community care and counseling, the trauma track. Um, I want to educate people on trauma. Like I have a passion for it. I have a passion to teach people about it. I want to help people heal. So I also, you know, started my business, Take My Hand, where I can do that. I can go train people on uh, sexual assault, you know, prevention and bystander intervention. Mm, Right. Which is actually that's very tricky, especially if you're in a situation that you're observing something you may not be sure of. 
Yes. Uncertainty. That's a barrier. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of times. Um, but it's better to say something and do something, even if you're not sure. Um, versus not saying anything at all. Because if you don't say something and then there really was a problem, then nothing happens. But if you was not sure and you still said something, then you could have saved somebody. Yeah. What do you think could have made the difference for you when you were a child? Um, hearing I love you more or at all and hugs um, hearing that I can do it instead of being called names and stuff mm -hmm. I think that would have helped my self-esteem um, I believe if my self-esteem was higher and I had that love that I always wanted I feel like maybe you know the molestation would have been prevented because I you know, I would have, I think the whole situation would have been different, but I can't say for sure how it would have went because I don't know. Right. But I think about that all the time and I can't change the past, but I think I love yous and hugs and, yeah. you know, you're beautiful would have went a long way. Which is why this is kind of at the heart of that resilience question I asked you before and you're making it clearer for me, which is why without all of that supporting that support that love and and even the language it's even more surprising and astounding that you were able to climb your way out yeah um i wasn't able to do it by myself um i still had you know great people in my life um along my journey that's come to help me and be supportive and to get me where i am today um, and now that I've had that, um, I want to give that to other girls that's experienced the same thing as me, even the foster care, um, just, you know, people being separated from the girls being separated from their families. I want to be there for them. I want to support them. I want to spend time with them because that's what I wanted. I wanted someone to just, I wanted to spend time with my mom and I wanted somebody to love on me instead of hurt me. And I want to be that woman that could spend time with the other girls and let them know, not just tell them that they're loved, but let them show them that they're loved. So when they become adults, when they become women, they'll, you know, possibly choose healthy relationships and, mm -hmm. you know, be a stronger body for the community. Do you see yourself ever getting married or or living in a long-term relationship again or having more children? <laughs> okay, so I did not want children for a long time after my son. I was like, oh, no. Like, <laughs> my son, he was a little—I was a young mom. I had him when I was 18, and it was hard, and I was a single mom. So I was like, oh, no, I don't want any more children. <laughs> But now I do. I, I would like more children and I would love to adopt as well. Um, I would love to get married. Um, I was scared to get married. And because I was scared that the, what if I was asked, I would ask the questions, what if the next man comes and hit me? 
Or, you know, what if he's nice at first and then what if he becomes abusive? What if he touches my child or my children? Then I'm going to be in jail somewhere, you know? Just all those thoughts would run through my head. And I was like, wait a second now. That's living in fear. Like, I can't live in fear because while I'm thinking those things, I also had on the other side, I needed to combat those thoughts. Okay, what if a good man comes and love on me instead of hurt me? What if he loves my children instead of hurt them? So I had to, you know, think positive. And Mm -hmm. I do want to get married and have more children. (laughs) That was a long answer, but you did say yes. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) No, I'm laughing. I'm laughing because I felt like you were negotiating with yourself. Well, (laughs) okay. You don't have to apologize because I love your stories. (laughs) Um, Okay. And so your son, your son is 14 and he's seen a lot and, and, and you're raising him the way you wish you could have been raised, right? Yes. Yes, I pour so yes. much love on him. It's scary. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he's a really lucky, he's a lucky, lucky kid. He's like, ma. He, he, you know, he pushes, they get into their teenage years and then they just push you away. Like, yeah. they don't want to be bothered. You drop them off at school and you say you love, you love them and they just look at you. But then when you're in the house, they come crawl under you. I just adore those moments. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right there with you, but now he's trapped because of the pandemic, right? So right. he's around you all the time, these poor teenagers. Yeah. He gets all I have my to love. myself. Yeah. There's no escape. Um, so, and actually, and I, and I do, you know, you, you answered the question a little bit earlier about what you wish you had as a kid. What, what would you want adults to know that kids need? Like what, what do kids need? And, and what do you wish for all the children that you, you can't actually directly help? To the parents and adults that deal with children, kids need love. Love, 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 so much love. You can never run out of love. Love doesn't require money. It just, love is an action. They need love. They need to know and feel it. They need to feel like someone cares for them. That goes a long way. It really does. It helps build their self-esteem. Yeah. It helps strengthen them, you know, they need trust. They need to be able to trust adults, help and build healthy relationships. That's what they need. Uh, so Vanity, I love the work that you're doing and I, I cannot wait for you to get your PhD and to, to get out there and, and do this work on an even bigger scale than you're doing it already. I'd love the name of your company to take my hand. Oh, thank you. I think that's beautiful. <laughs> um, can you, can you just share again links or websites or anywhere you want people to find you? Oh, yes. I, my sister, she actually put my website together. She did oh. a wonderful job. Um, People could find that at www.vanitydawson.com. And then um, also on um, Instagram um, at vanity underscore Dawson. And my business pages is at Delicate Flowers, which is the nonprofit for uh, mentoring the foster care youth and then the trauma recovery coaching and victim advocacy services is at, at Take My Hand. LLC. Great. 
Vanity, thank you very much for giving me some time today and telling your story and, and sharing the hardship that you went through and also this new life that you've created for yourself. Thank you so much for having me. Is um, This is definitely a healing process for me. This is definitely a step in the process of healing. Yeah. And I appreciate it. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to And Then Everything Changed. For more on this episode and other interviews you might like, please visit atecpodcast.com. You can also find And Then Everything Changed on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you like this podcast, please do share it with your friends and take a minute and rate and review so that others can hear these stories too. Thanks for listening.